Hey guys, welcome to another huge episode of Triggered. The great filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza is joining us on the show today to discuss his new movie, Police State, which exposes how the left is using law enforcement to target its political opponents. I can personally verify that this is true. Frankly, anyone who's been watching uh, for the last few years can verify that, but uh, you know, the attacks on me and my family have been a little bit more personal. You also know Dinesh from his major films like 2000 Mules, Trump Card, and Death of a Nation. So guys, make sure you're liking, you're sharing, you're subscribing so that you never miss one of these interviews. You can also find the episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts after, your, after the show. So if you're getting your podcasts elsewhere or you're listening when you're driving or flying or whatever it may be, you can get it there, so check it out. But tonight's episode is going to be fun. I'm also going to be watching for your guys' questions because I know so many of you guys, it's not just about complaining about these things. It's about actually getting results. What can we do to change the trajectory of our country? Because right now, it's going downhill really fast. So check it out. You can also read about the latest headlines on MXM News. That's my app. Uh, it's totally free. You download it on any places you get your apps. MXM, like minute by minute. Check it out there. That's what was canceled by PNC Bank because we're actually showing you the news that's not going to show up elsewhere in the algorithm or on Google or any of the other places that only cater to the narrative. So I can assure you, you're not going to want to miss tonight's interview with Dinesh. But before we get to that, I want to talk about another interview. Elon Musk was at a New York Times event yesterday and was asked about major advertisers like Disney and the Washington Post boycotting X, formerly Twitter, and pulling their ads. Elon actually had the perfect answer. Watch for yourselves. If you will. That this had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. <laughs> is that clear? I, I hope it is. Hey, Bob. If you're in the audience. Well, well let me ask you then, that's how I feel. Don't about, advertise. How do you think then about... I love how he calls out Bob Iger, CEO of Disney. Hi, Bob. You know, who's been pushing seemingly like just never-ending pedo crap and trans nonsense down everyone's throats ad nauseum. But imagine how much better the world would be if more people had this attitude. Liberal boycotts only have power if we give into their pressure. They want people to cower. They want you to beg for forgiveness. And when you do, and you apologize, even though you didn't actually do anything wrong, that's just the start of the assault. You get no credit for the apology. That, to them, is the acknowledgement that they were right, even if it was always bullshit. Go fuck yourself is the only answer to these sick people. Hey, guys, it's actually why we spend so much time and started Public Square, so we could link people who have a similar ideology. So you can give your hard-earned dollars to people who share your beliefs as opposed to giving it to Disney 
or Starbucks or the woke corporations that hate your guts, hate your values, and would put you in the gulag. So if you haven't already for Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday and all of this stuff going on before the holidays, go check out publicsquare.com where you can have a marketplace of people who think like you do. I imagine that goes for just about everyone except for some of the trolls in the comments that are watching this, but it's important. If we fight back, they can't win. If we just sit back and be helpless, it's a whole different story. You should have no respect for the so-called liberal elite guys. In case you haven't noticed, they are completely unimpressive in just about every way. Most of them are total morons. Just look at our Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona. Watch what he has to say here and wonder to yourself if this guy should be in charge of America's education or perhaps the fact that people like this guy are in fact in charge of our education, why we are failing miserably on a world stage and kids can't read or do basic math when they graduate high school. Watch for yourself. We're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Um, there's, there are resources there. There's technical assistance there. And there's a playbook that could support the work you're doing. Count on us as a partner in this. Our students are waiting. Thank you. Guys, now, of course, this imbecile completely butchered the quote. It's the exact Opposite, literally the exact opposite of what Reagan said and what he meant. Here's what Reagan actually said. Watch for yourself in your own words. I'm sure you guys know the quotes because you have a functioning brain, unlike our Secretary of Education. Nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> Just think about that, folks. The Education Secretary, the guy who's in charge of setting education policy in the United States of America is a complete buffoon. He actually quoted like the inverse of what Reagan said. He tried saying the government is a great helpful partnership as opposed to Reagan, who basically said that anything the government touches turns to shit, which is of course accurate. If you've been watching the Biden administration, you know that's 100% true. But this is not an isolated incident. The whole Biden administration is like this. For example, the Department of Homeland Security just sent out a directive to Border Patrol agents telling them to use, and I quote, gender-neutral language and to ask illegal immigrants for their preferred pronouns. Now, I'd love to see the body cam footage of this actually going down. Because while I'm not for this, I imagine it would be better than any episode of Cops ever filmed. Watching migrants confused as to what the hell a pronoun even is, and that there are more than two genders apparently, and trying to go through the 9,476 genders that they claim are out there, this is what they're worried about. Not, you know, human trafficking, not the sex trafficking of minors, Certainly not the fentanyl crisis that has turned every state in America into a border state. A drug that has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans. Of course, that's not the Biden administration's concern. It's making sure that we use the migrants' preferred pronouns. I have a feeling that exactly zero of these migrants, whether we like it or not, 
have preferred pronouns because they probably actually have real stuff to worry about in their lives one way or the other after going through that journey. Biden wants the Border Patrol to use they-them pronouns and to let them come into the country without fear of deportation, because of course they do. Doesn't matter if it brings incredible violent crime. Look at the rape statistics in Europe, Sweden, and Germany. And where all of it comes from, uh, it happens to be the migrants, but that doesn't matter. As long as they'll vote Democrat forever, who cares about what happens to your children? Who cares about what happens to our infrastructure? Whether it's healthcare or education or otherwise. You saw the education secretary. Clearly, education, intelligence, is not a priority for the Democrats. Just votes and power. The focus is not on deportation. It's on preferred pronouns. Instead of, I don't know, say, stopping Hamas terrorists from coming into our nation. It's not surprising that the Biden administration doesn't care about stopping Hamas at the border. After all, the left is in love with Hamas. Just look at these leftists at an Oakland City Council meeting this week, defending Hamas. It's amazing stuff. The babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. Calling Hamas a terrorist organization is ridiculous, racist, and plays into genocidal propaganda that is flooding our media and that we should be doing everything possible to combat. I support the right of Palestinians to resist occupation, including through Hamas, the armed wing of the unified Palestinian resistance. I mean, there you have it. There's someone in a mask still. Uh, the they-thems are so into Hamas that they're actually starting to read the Quran. Seriously, it's all the rage, apparently, in the LBGTQIA++ insanity. Watch and see for yourself. Just started reading the Quran, and I am so excited about it. People thought when I... <laughs> I mean, it's literally incredible. Liberal lunatics are completely delusional when it comes to radical Islam. Just look at this tweet of a banner saying, and I quote, trans liberation can't happen without Palestinian liberation. Now, guys, we've been talking about this a lot on the show. We should send them all over there and see how it works out. They should have a parade or something. Again, my personal advice, don't go to building rooftops because we still can't fly. And even if you identify as a bird, that's not going to change the fact that you can't fly and that they'll throw you off a building. Something tells me that a trans parade will not exactly be well received in Gaza. But that doesn't stop these idiots. Okay, It doesn't stop them. You see what's going on now in Ireland where they want to jail Irish people for putting up Irish Lives Matter. You know, I didn't see a problem with that, and no one had a problem with it when other lives mattered, say, during the summer 2020 of love. Uh, those sorts of things, that didn't matter. That was wonderful. Now they want to jail you for that for hate speech. But, you know, if an Algerian stabs a bunch of children and there are protests, you have immigrant counselors elected to office in Ireland that literally want to shoot the protesters in the head. That's not hate speech. That's just fine. This is what we're allowing to happen to the civilized world, folks. And it's not good.
and it doesn't end well. And while it's fun to mock the left for all this radical insanity, these communists are dangerous. Just last night, just last night in New York City, they started a riot at the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting event. See for yourself. The pro-Hamas left doesn't just hate Israel, right, guys? It's not just about Israeli occupation and the Jews. They hate America. They hate Christianity. They hate democracy. They want the totalitarianism that they have accepted in their own countries. They want to import that here and elsewhere. That is all they bring. They hate all that is good on this earth. It's not just about the narrative. It's about everything. They want total control. They will take it. They will use our insanity against us so we capitulate totally to their will, to their needs. But once they get that power, folks, your freedom and everything that you would hold dear would be gone. Just watch what they've done everywhere else. It's not going to be different here, folks. Not all cultures are created equally. The left is even going after children trying to enjoy a football game. Far-left woke sports blog Deadspin recently attacked a nine-year-old Kansas City Chiefs fan for having face paint on. He called it blackface. They said he was wearing blackface. We're going to destroy this kid's life. He wasn't wearing blackface. It was half red, half black. The team colors of the chief. Deadspin then attacked him for, quote, native face. Something that I don't know that we've ever heard of. And probably anyone who had been to a Chiefs game or perhaps in the past, the Washington Redskins before the woke took over that and turned it into the Commanders or the Atlanta Braves had traditionally done. Now we have Native Face. The only issue, folks, the kid is Native American. The kid may have his revenge soon. Hopefully he sues the hell out of them. This sort of weaponization against all that is good and innocent, all that we've ever done and traditionally as a country, it's a problem. And we can't just let it continue. Everything's racist to the radical left. That's the easy button. They'll go after anything, okay, until we say enough is enough. Christmas is coming early for us, folks. I'll have this. This is the feel-good story of the day, because we got to sometimes end on a good note. Journalists are getting fired left and right. Today, Vox and Vanity Fair announced layoffs. The fake news journalists are perhaps going to have to learn to code. They can easily be replaced by AI, unlike, say, someone like a farmer or someone who actually has a skill. Maybe now, but I doubt it, but maybe now they'll start to hate Bidenomics as much as everyone else does. New data reveals that the typical American household now has to spend an extra $11,000 a year to maintain the same quality of life they had in 2021. $11,000, okay? With the average income of a family in America being what? 60, $65,000, okay? That's a lot, folks. And it's gonna crush a lot of good hard-working people. But 
Biden clearly doesn't have a handle on this. He doesn't have a hand on his own faculties. The guy is clueless. He thinks my dad is now a congressman, if you can believe that. Instead of cutting them, or like Congressman Trump and Bob were going to do. <laughs> I mean, every day, there's not a day that goes by that he doesn't have a serious mental breakdown. Biden's cognitive implosion is why special counsel Jack Smith is not only targeting my father, but now he's targeting the entire America First movement. It was recently revealed that Jack Smith, you know, this is the prosecutor that's going after my dad for insurrection, you know, the first unarmed insurrection in the history of the world, got a warrant for a list of Twitter users who have favorited or retweeted tweets posted by my father's account. Think of that. He had like, what, 80, 90 million people? Anyone who interacted with that account is now on a list by the government. That's a list of tens of millions of Americans, if not more. This is tyranny. But the good news is there are signs that it's backfiring on Biden. Here's Tucker Carlson explaining how the Mar-a-Lago raid convinced him to be all in on Trump 2024, echoing the sentiment of more and more Americans each and every day. Trump supporter when they raided Mar-a-Lago last summer, the summer of 2022. That, that, that's just, that can't stand. No, that can't. And that I was something. agree with Trump on a lot. But even if I disagreed with Trump on a lot, I'd still be a Trump supporter because you cannot allow that. You cannot allow the you know, the regime, the president of the United States to use the Justice Department to knock the front runner out of the race. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. So it's bigger than Trump. It's bigger than Biden. It's a question of, you know, do you want to live in a free country with a functioning justice system? You know, that's exactly. And right. so I'm voting for Trump. And if they convict him, I will send him the max donations and I will lead protests. That's how I feel. That's how I. That was Tucker Carlson on Roseanne Barr, uh, another friend of the show. Um, and this is why I'm glad we're having Dinesh on the show tonight. His movie Police State is about the weaponization of law enforcement. Here's part of the trailer so you can see for yourself. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. I've never seen anything like it. It may be the Russia other people grew up in, but not. We'll get to Dinesh in just a few moments, but I want to make sure we thank our incredible sponsors for having the guts to support this show and this kind of programming. That's not easy. But again, if we get behind these guys, if we see where people stand, we can fight back against radical left corporate America. This is what we have to do, and it seems to be happening. So, guys, make sure you check out the great folks over at GoldCo. Interest rates, they're rising. And, of course, we're still seeing the inflation, the reckless spending, the global turmoil, the Biden-caused disasters each and every day. And it's only leading to more and more economic anxiety. I just want you to be prepared, and owning tangible 
physical inflation hedging gold and silver can help secure and stabilize your portfolio. GoldCo has top-notch customer service. They'll answer all of your questions. They'll walk you through the entire process. So to learn more, go to donjuniorgold.com. That's D-O-N-J-R gold.com to learn more. And again, they'll take you through it. Educate yourself so you can learn how to protect yourself and your family from the disasters that are unfolding. That's D-O-N-J-R gold.com. Learn, give them a shot understand what you're getting into, and protect yourself from the insanity. And while you're doing that, don't forget about the great team over at Blackout Coffee. I'm pretty sure you're going to be drinking coffee one way or the other, folks, so make sure you're doing it with a company that actually supports your values instead of some far-left corporate coffee chain that literally hates your guts and will take your hard-earned dollars and use it to fund the causes that would have you thrown in the gulags. Blackout Coffee is American-made, it's family-owned, and they'll never compromise on their beliefs to appease the woke mob. So from sourcing the beans to the roasting process and customer support, Blackout Coffee will never compromise on taste or quality. Blackout Coffee only uses premium-grade coffee beans, and they're fully committed to delivering a top-quality product. So this holiday season, enjoy Blackout Coffee by going to blackoutcoffee.com slash Jr. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash D-O-N-J-R. Or simply use the promo code D-O-N-J-R, Don Jr., at checkout for 20% off your first order. So guys, with that, joining me now, uh, great filmmaker, America First Patriot, uh, the man who made the movie about the police state, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, welcome aboard, man. How are you? Hey, thanks a lot. Great to be with you and looking forward to our conversation. Well, likewise, and I think you know a lot of our friends are here as well because you know we're seeing these things. I mean, the, the movie is timely. I mean, we know what's been going on. We saw honestly what they did to you versus the way everyone on the left was treated as it related to campaign finance donations. You see what they've done to me. What you know, far worse, what they're trying to do to my father. You know, you know, a thousand years in prison and the death penalty. I mean, you know, for I'm not really sure what, but that doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, but this week, the stuff with Jack Smith subpoenaing the records to find out anyone who may have interacted with Trump on Twitter, a platform where I, I don't remember what the number was, but he had like 80 million followers. I mean, is how much worse is the police state than we ever even imagined? I mean, again, I know it's bad. We've been woken up to that. Our eyes are open. But it seems so much worse than we could have possibly imagined, like so much else that we're getting our eyes open to. Yeah, I think that the police state is rendered even more creepy by the fact that it, it marches behind the banner of law. And so if you follow the business with Jack Smith and Beryl Howell, the judge, you know, Jack Smith makes a motion, uh, she approves the motion, um, then uh, Jack Smith suggests that your father you know, Donald Trump might be a flight risk of some sort. The judge goes, yeah, that might actually be the case. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that you've got this naked brutality, this absurdity of collecting the, the the all the people who like President Trump's tweets. Why would you want to do that unless you were trying to create some sort of database, some kind of list of political enemies so that if not Jack Smith, somebody else in the Democratic camp could start going after those people. So, uh, but all of this is not, all of this is done as if to say, 
we're going through a legal process. So our police state pretends to be saving democracy and upholding the rule of law and uh, affirming freedom and protecting truth from misinformation and disinformation. So the job of a movie like mine is to strip the facade, remove the veil, show people the, the sheer thuggishness that lies behind this emerging police state. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the movie you hope you never actually have to make, right? I mean, this this feels like, you know, some sort of, you know, despotic film, but it's a documentary because it is actually happening. It means things have gone from bad to worse. Uh, you know, what did you learn, you know, while putting it together that perhaps you weren't aware of otherwise? Uh, talk about that process where it started, you know, to, to where you got to the finished product and what, what you learned in that process. Well, part of it, you know, the start of it was I was thinking back to my early career in America and how I always thought of America as the leader of the free world. I contrasted America with the unfree world, which, of course, was North Korea, China, the old Soviet Union. And then I said to myself, well, let's make a list of the defining characteristics of these tyrannical societies, these police states around the world. You have mass surveillance of citizens, systematic censorship ideological indoctrination in the schools and the media. You have criminalization of political differences, the attempt to lock up the leader of the opposition party. You have political prisoners. So I go down that checklist and I say, well, how many of those things do we see now here in the United States? And the answer, dismayingly, is all of them. To one degree or another, all the defining features of police states are now evident in our own country. It's a, it's a shocking and disturbing realization. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way, right? When you think of the other police states of the world, obviously, I think, you know, China comes to mind, right? You know, we're not really different. Perhaps the only difference that I can actually think of at this point is that there are still those out there in America who are naive enough to believe that we are actually different. Uh, you know, that we are the constitutional republic that, you know, everyone says we are. It's like, no, we're not. We're actually living in that same police state, so, which probably makes it worse because, you know, until guys like you are making movies like this or guys like me are calling it out or they see what's going on to my father, you know, you're living in a world, you know, through rose colored glasses. You know, we're looking at a prism uh, that that is painting a much more uh, beautiful picture than what actually exists. What are the sort of uh, police state tactics that you expect to see in the next year that lead up to this election? Because I imagine there's going to be a lot of them uh, and a lot that haven't been talked about yet or haven't been done yet beyond the lawfare, what they're trying to do to my father currently. Uh, absolutely. Look, we are we are not a full-fledged police state because if we were, I couldn't make a movie called Police State. Uh, so we are an emerging police state. I would say on a scale of one to 10, we are somewhere around six. But but I'm also struck by the speed at which we have gone from one to six. So while all of this may go back to 9-11 and some of the police, the expansion of surveillance powers given to the government at that time, the truth of it is much of this has happened just under Biden. So just in the last two years. And the pretexts are somewhat different. Some of it could be COVID. Some of it could be January 6th. But whatever the pretext, the movement is in the direction of greater unfreedom. So 
I think that what's we are now at a critical point where the big question is, what will the opposition do? What will the Supreme Court do? What will the Republicans do? What will uh, Republican uh, attorneys general and secretaries of state do? Because it's my firm view that the passivity of the Republicans provokes the aggression of the Democrats and of the left. It's like a bully. If he finds that the kids are all running scared, the bully gets even more excited and wants to increase the bullying tactics. The moment the kids decide, let's get together and ambush this guy in the back alley and kick him in the shins, then he's going to feel a taste of his own medicine. Then the bully begins to think twice. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, and I think I, I do think that people are waking up to that. And I understand, you know, there's consequences to this. I mean, you you faced them. I God knows I faced them. My father has faced them. But when it was you know, sort of Donald Trump going out there by himself and he's taking all the slings and arrows, man, it's actually easy to take out, you know, the most powerful man in the world. It, uh, they, they could do it quite easily. Now that people are awake, uh, now that they're starting to understand that, if they get vocal, if they get involved, I, I think we make it a lot harder for them. You know, the, the bullies are usually only bullies when they are running scared, but the second they get actually someone pushing back on them, uh, it changes dramatically. What What are the things that just ordinary Americans can do to push back against it? Again, I think their eyes are open now. Donald Trump probably exposed... I imagine what was going on for quite some time. They were just able to do it sort of under the cover of night uh, because there was no one actually calling them out. There was no one sort of taking them on directly. So even if there was something, they just, you know, they kept doing what they did subtly. But what are the things that you could recommend to people to do to prevent it from happening? Because there is a point where if the pendulum gets too far, it's over. There, there's, there's a point of no return um, you know, and, and I think we're getting awfully close to that point of no return. But, you know, I, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to fight back. How do we do that? Well, let's try to think about what does it mean to succeed against them, right? So in my own case, going back to 2013, I realized that the real goal of the Obama Justice Department, Eric Holder and those guys, it wasn't merely to encourage incarcerate me. Their main goal was, this guy's a political enemy. Let's sort of destroy his career. And so I realized that if I came out of the confinement center and so on, and I had this big, you know, felon label on my chest, and I wouldn't be able to work again, and I couldn't, nobody want to invite me to give a speech or write a book, I couldn't make another movie, then they would have won. They would have succeeded. On the other hand, if I came out of the whole process, uh, and my career was bigger than it was before, then they fail. So now let's apply the same test to your dad. Uh, their goal here is to make sure that your dad is politically immobilized, physically immobilized if need be, but the real goal is to prevent him from winning the 2024 election. If he wins the 2024 election, it's a giant up yours to the police state. Not to mention the fact that you now have a guy in charge of the executive branch who can do a lot to dismantle the organs of the police state, whether it be the FBI, whether it be the DHS and so on. You can renovate those places from the top to bottom. Now, what can ordinary people do? Number one, spread the word. Uh, you know, watch Police State. Go to policestatefilm.net. Check it out. Number two, get involved. 
Uh, and the main thing here is to use your influence. Get involved in your own sphere of influence. Run for school board, uh, become an election judge or a poll watcher as a volunteer, put some eyes on the process. So whatever you can do within your sphere of influence, you should do. Most people, unfortunately, use a very tiny fraction of the influence they have. One of the things I've been trying to do in my own career try to use all my influence to get to take the skills that I have and try to get the messages out that I'm able to do to a, a wide audience. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, that's not always easy. I, I get it. I mean, I, I remember when I used to be able to build buildings in peace and we did really well and we had an incredible business and they try to take that away from us in New York and then they try to go after us in different ways. And, you know, I, I understand that uh, I am not uh, the upstanding citizen that Hunter Biden is, but, you know, I did 50 hours of testimony for treason, a crime punishable by death, kind of a big deal. Um, you know, and, you know, they're shocked that Hunter Biden, Democrat, I can't believe Hunter Biden would come in. There, there's no evidence other than the receipts, other than the emails, other than 80,000 anonymous emails sent by a Joe Biden alias, other than the grandchildren and ex-girlfriends getting money from CCP-controlled entities. You know, all, all those, all that lack of evidence, and yet... Russia, 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 which was totally fabricated and created by the Hillary Clinton campaign. They forced us to do everything. It led to impeachments. It led to five years of chaos. There's pe still people talking about it as though it's real. And, you know, that is the unequal system of justice that we live in today. If you have a R next to your name or if you're a conservative, uh, you are held to a different standard than you are uh, as a Democrat. Yes, and I think that in some ways, when we point out these double standards, there's a little bit of naivete on our part, isn't there? Because we're assuming that the Justice Department is or should be impartial. We're assuming that those guys care about equal justice under the law. I think one of the problems is that police states are so perverse that they develop a different logic, which is consistent in its own perverse way. The police state basically says, which is the party that is helping to build the police state? Ah, that's the left, that's the Democrats. So they're gonna protect our crimes, so we should protect their crimes. And, and that's what's going on. And then the police state says, well, who are the people who are trying to block the police state? Who are the people who, if they had the power, would start dismantling the police state? Oh, well, that's the MAGA Republicans, that's Donald Trump. Okay, so just like the family dog, which is friendly toward family members, but barks at strangers, the police state is friendly to the people it sees as building up the police state and hostile to people like you and me and your dad who are seen as sort of threats to the police state. So talk about, you know, maybe the, the dichotomy. Obviously, you know, I, the, when we talk about the police state, we're not talking about police and law enforcement per se, because I mean, certainly on a local level, uh, you know, I, I can't think of a group that's more sort of you know, America first MAGA than local police. You know, I, I see that where I live. I see that where we travel. I see that when I go to my father's rallies and these guys, you know, literally come in unpaid to be able to work in the motorcade to help out. The, the, the thanks and the love uh, is very different. You know, wh where is that line drawn about the police state versus sort of law enforcement? Because the left... Uh, they're very against law enforcement. They're very against uh, police officers, whether that's state troopers or local sheriff's departments or whatever it may be. But uh, policing from the highest branches of government still, you know, that, that they want as much as they could possibly have of. Right. A police state becomes when the institutions of law, the police agencies of the government, stop caring about the law in the traditional sense. 
they are now more concerned with going after political opponents. They're more concerned with shutting down dissidents. They're more concerned with weaponizing the apparatus of government in order to move toward a one-party state. Let's think about this. All police states are one-party states. This does not mean they don't have elections. Iran has elections. China has elections. But the opposition is always controlled. No effective opposition is allowed to emerge. One of the questions I wrestle with in the film, and I think there's an original treatment of this, is it explores the question of how an agency like the FBI or the DHS can get decent people to do indecent things. In other words, how do you get, let's just take a normal FBI guy who's got a wife and family, he's got a you know two-car garage. How do you get this guy to kick in the door of a 70-year-old grandmother, like pull her hair to the ground if she resists and pull her by the feet down the stairs, pull her out into the driveway where her neighbors can come out and gawk at her, helpfully tip off CNN so the cameras are there to humiliate her? How do you get a decent person to do something so manifestly evil? That's part of the ingenuity of the police state. They figured out a way to make good people do really bad things. Yeah, no, and I've seen that. I mean, I, the amount of FBI agents, both active and especially retired, they're a little bit more free to talk once they're retired. You know, it, it's a tarnish on our badge. We can't believe what's going on. But, you know, I guess the reality is there are still going to be bad people and the people who are willing to do those things and the people, uh, and conversely, the people who espouse any conservatives believe, you know, they get to go guard a federal office building in Guam. And if you're a radical leftist and you espouse the insanity, uh, you get the promotion. You get brought up to the top. If you show, hey, I don't want to take the vaccine, that's it. That's that's it. Sure, yeah, maybe you'll keep your job, but you're never getting a promotion again. You're going to be stuck uh, you know, in the middle, and you'll never go anywhere till your career is over. Uh, you know, they, They've weaponized that very explicitly. How do you break that up once you have sort of decades of this stuff going on where these Marxists have taken over uh, the highest echelons of all of these institutions in our government? Well, you have to, well, first of all, you do need the executive branch because these agencies, whether DHS, DOJ, FBI, all of these are part of the executive branch. There's some congressional oversight, and of course, Congress can do its job and should do its job to do exposés. But the truth of it is, if you get the executive branch, you then need to have the kind of bureaucratic infighters that can sort of go in with a blowtorch into these agencies. Because what's happened is the structure of incentives is what is really perverted. By and large, the ordinary FBI agent is told, if you want to be a company man, if you want to get a promotion, you want to get a bonus at the end of the year, you don't want to be seen as a troublemaker, okay, your focus should be January 6th and not, let's say, child trafficking. Uh, and number two, uh, don't worry about what don't worry about whether the person that you're making an arrest of is a good guy or a bad guy. We'll let the courts figure that out. Your job is just operational. To carry out an arrest, this is kind of how we do it by the book. It's 5.45 in the morning. We have a battering ram. We knock once on the door. If no answer, we go right through the door. So you've got to learn this is our procedure. This is our process. This is how you get to be a good guy who kind of follows the orders of the team uh, and earns your FBI badge that way. So that's this is the corrupt incentives that are now built into these massive sort of governmental corporations. And we need to go inside of them and change the incentives. And that's not easy to do. It takes sort of bureaucratic infighters to do that, but it can be done. So I, I've been explicit in calling these radicals you know, Marxists or you know communists. Now, you know, obviously Marx wasn't talking about preferred pronouns 
But how do they use Marxism to further their destruction or the ideas thereof? Well, Marxism is supplies the kind of general template. So under Marx, society is divided um, between two camps, the exploiter and the exploited. So this is the aspect of Marxism, the social division, the legitimation of hatred and violence toward the so-called exploiting class. Now for Marx, that exploiting class were the, the bourgeois, the greedy capitalists, and the exploited were the working class. But I think what happened in America is that a left, lot of leftists realized that there are racial divisions, gender divisions in America that run deeper than class divisions. The ordinary working class guy doesn't want to kill his boss. He wants to become the boss. He wants to be promoted. He wants to get a, you know, a bonus and a, he wants to get ahead. So it is easier in this country to foster division if you don't say class, but you say race. And so what's happened is the left in this country has has tried to divide society, not just two ways, not just between rich and poor, which is the Marxist idea, but black against white, uh, man, male against female, uh, heterosexual against gay, you know, now the transgender issue. So it's a modified form of Marxism, not classical Marxism, but Marxism with a kind of racial and gender spin. Yeah, everyone's either an oppressor or the oppressed. Uh, and, and I guess they need that because that creates that kind of division. You know, you see the left calling anyone who's a conservative a fascist, and yet, you know, they're the ones trying to jail their political opponents. Uh, they're the ones that are exercising violence in the streets. They're the ones that are literally cheering uh, for, you know, the murder and beheading and rape of young women and children in Israel. It, you know, not for the notion of a free Palestine, but for literally a radical terrorist organization like Hamas. Um, does it ever get so bad, like the other things, right? We, th we think it was going on. We understand what the deep state's been doing for a long time. It, it all came out under Trump, whether it's Trump derangement syndrome or they just accelerated their plans. Does it get to the point where... Ordinary Americans, not like you or me or perhaps even the people watching this show, but where ordinary Americans finally get it. Or, or are we too far gone? Meaning our education system has been indoctrinating these children since they were three years old and they're not actually capable of the thought that it takes to realize what exactly is going on because it's so ridiculous sometimes. It's so flagrant. It's so in your face that, you know, I can't imagine a sentient being with, you know, a greater than single digit IQ actually not figuring it out already. Well, I find, you know, I used to, I've been speaking on campus now going back to the 1990s, and I noticed something happened somewhere around 2007, 2008. And that is that prior to that, you had liberals on the campus, but there were also conservatives. The liberals knew what the conservative argument was, and you could actually have a lively discussion. They would be like, oh, Mr. D'Souza, you don't know what you're talking about. The Dixiecrats were, and you know, and on and on you go. Yeah. And then something happened around 2010 where I realized that I'm talking to students, and it's not that they reject conservatism. They don't even know what it is. They've never heard it. They've never had a single friend, a single professor who yeah. has exposed them to anything other than one set of ideas. And so this is sort of the true meaning of indoctrination. In a sense, you don't even have the mental lens to be able to come up with rival arguments because you don't you haven't been given the baseline of knowledge in which you even know the things that would allow you to think that way. 
So it is a crisis, I think, in the education system. I'm not quite sure how it can all be fixed. I don't think it's going to be an easy job to take back, yeah. you know, 2,000 universities that are now, you know, firmly in the grasp of the other side. Uh, but I do think that there are plenty of uh, Americans who are capable of waking up. Part of it is we've never had a police state in this country. I mean, I guess blacks lived in a police state in the antebellum South, but if for the whole country, we've, we've never had that. Most Americans, if you say police state, they think of like, you know, a Stalin overcoat, a Hitler mustache. So it's hard for Americans to believe it can happen here. It is happening here. And that's why in the film, uh, what I do is I show a lot of ordinary people. I mean, I show your dad, I talk about January 6th, but I also have a lot of ordinary guys just going about their life and then bam, they come face to face with the police state and they can't believe it. They never expected it. So for those guys, their eyes are open. And look, the beauty of a film is that you can not only tell people about something, you show it to them. There's a cinematic power of seeing it, feeling it and experiencing it. Yeah, no, I mean, a, a picture paint, you know, says a thousand words. And I, I think that's really important. And, I, and I, you're 100 percent right, though. I mean, I know you went to Dartmouth. Uh, you know, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. These were Ivy League institutions. They were great. And, you know, I graduated, you know, from Penn in 2000. Uh, not all that long ago. Maybe I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit more than I'd like. But, uh, you know, at that time, guess what? No one like there were no political marches on campus and no one wore their politics on a sleeve. And you could. In fact, you learned by actually having professors that were, say, politically adversarial to you and and actually debating. Uh, now that, you know, you're, you're, that one side isn't even talked about, meaning one side doesn't even exist, the notion of just sort of a rote memorization of these things. I have a friend that got into a similar program at one of these top schools because it was a very specific program. They only had it at this. It was at you know at NYU, of all places, in New York City, uh, very liberal. And this is a super conservative kid. And he basically, I was like, well, how'd you actually get in? He goes, oh, you know, I, I wrote my essay about being a trans, you know, he's like, I literally took everything crazy about it and I weaponized it against them for my benefit because I wanted to get into the specific program. And of course, he got in with flying colors. It, 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 how scary is that, though, that some of these, when we say, you know, elite universities, they don't feel that elite to me. I don't know that I'd hire anyone from these, you know, institutions, uh, whereas they would have been perhaps the gold standard 20 years ago, because I don't know that they're actually capable of thought other than just regurgitating what they've been indoctrinated with. I'm sorry to say, I think that's true. I think, for example, you know, I used to assume certain things about, let's say, a Dartmouth grad or somebody who went to Swarthmore or Berkeley, that there was a certain level of academic preparation, of intellectual sophistication. I don't think that's true any longer. In fact, it's, it's a joke. And, and by the way, it's not just in academia. You see the exact same thing in media. Used to be, for yeah. example, CNN. You might remember the old show that they used to have Crossfire. Yeah. One guy on the left, one guy on the right. Could be Pat Buchanan on the right, and then I forget, Michael Kinsley, I think, on the left. And there was a back and forth, and very interesting for the audience because you could see a clash of ideas. Today, that's all gone. CNN will have a panel. It's like 11 guys, and they all think the same. Well, I concur with the previous guest, and I concur with the previous guest. And so you, you feel like you're in a surreal atmosphere where everything is staged, and all the arguments that you, the audience, can think of, well, what about that? Well, what about that? Yeah. Uh, never come up. They're never even raised. And so as a result, the media and education become propagandistic extensions of one another. Look at the way, by the way, that this police state is now not just in the government. We talk about the weaponization of government, but it's in academia. It's in the digital platforms, which are, which are part of the censorship apparatus. It's in the nonprofits. 
It, the, the police state is an octopus that is stretching across the public and the private sector both. Yeah, although maybe there's hope even in the media. I saw today, uh, you know, Chris Cuomo, brother of uh, New York, former New York governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, basically said, hey, you know what? Uh, voting for Trump's not really an existential threat to our country anymore. Now, this is very contrary to everything he ever said on CNN, but I think even he is waking up to that the policies of Joe Biden, and I don't even want to say Joe Biden because I don't think Joe Biden's actually capable of coming up and crafting policy. I think Joe Biden is signing... Uh, you know, whatever, whoever actually is in charge is putting in front of him. So that's he's probably been very effective for the Marxists and the communists uh, because they're not worried about preserving his legacy. If he destroys America in the process, that's fine for their political gain. But do, do you see others ever coming around to that? Do you see what's going on in mainstream media where, you know, ratings are just going down? Because you're right, like, I, I don't need to watch more than a couple minutes of, you know, mainstream cable news because it's it's literally just the same thing there there is no counterpoint there is no one willing uh, to have an intellectually honest debate about anything they just say what they say and they say it over and over and over for 24 hours uh, absolutely i mean with regard to chris cuomo so i predict this is what's going to happen or oh, the next 48 hours are critical because police states love to maintain party discipline so there will now be everybody that chris cuomo knows on his own side which is going to be most of the people he knows are going to be calling him and telling him to back off of what he said and to apologize and to claim that he didn't mean it or that, you know, he was he hadn't had enough sleep the previous night. In other words, to repudiate what he says, because yeah. they can't afford to have people like Chris Cuomo saying this kind of stuff. They have to sort of rein them in. And so they have a very effective system of bludgeoning to keep people in line. I think this is really a very scary phenomenon. It actually goes back when I had my case you know, and I lived in D.C., so I was part of the D.C. culture. I knew a lot of guys who worked for the New Republic. I wrote for those magazines, the Washington Post, the New York Times. I would see those guys in Trover Bookstore. So when my case came up on campaign finance, I'd see these guys from the Washington Post. Like at the bookstore, they'd be like, Dinesh, you know, looks like you're getting the shaft, man. And I'd be like, well, you know what? I'm being defended by Megyn Kelly on Fox News, but it'd be really nice if you said that in the Washington Post. And yep. they'd be like, uh, sorry, you know, can't do that. And so that this is when I realized that there is a, a system on the left of making sure that on issues that are important to them, there is virtually no deviation. I mean, this is why not a single journalist on the left ran with the Hunter Biden story, because they knew. Think of it. I think how crazy this is. you got thousands of journalists. This is not a police state like Russia or Nazi Germany where Goebbels was, you know, puts out an edict, no journalist can write about the Hunter Biden story or you'll be executed tomorrow morning. No, you've got all these independent journalists, but none of them did it except the New York Post. Now, why is that? I think it's because they knew that any guy who does that is going to have a sword falling on his head. His career is going to be destroyed. He will never be able to work in this town again. And so the level of conformity is backed up by the fact that the police state and the left can enforce this kind of mass obedience. Yeah, no, and you see that a lot. I mean, I, I get that a lot because, again, prior to politics and stuff like that, obviously being in business in New York, you're surrounded by a lot of liberal journalists. And, 
you know, and I, I see it with my father's and frankly mine, because I'm guilty of civil fraud uh, in New York before they ever heard my case in this nonsense and we're going through it. And now this supposed victim was on the stand yesterday, the bank, and they're like, no, everything was great. What are you talking about? We do our own due diligence. We did everything. Everything was paid back. We made hundreds of millions. You know, Trump was a whale. We used him and that those assets to get other business. It was a wonderful relationship. We wanted to do more, not less. And I have people, you know, that I knew at the New York Times, uh, you know, at ABC News that are like, oh, this is so crazy. Like, I, you know, this is so ripe for future corruption. If an attorney general can just come in five years later and say, we don't like this deal. We're going to sue you for a billion dollars and try to take away your company because you didn't donate perhaps to my political campaign. You know, they're, they're saying these things. I go, that, I agree with you. You're 100 percent right. Where, where's your story about that? Where's your story about what happened today that the alleged victim is saying, we weren't a victim. This was one of the great deals. Trump was a, you know, we, we 10% of our revenue came from Trump organization deals. You know, where is that article? And it doesn't exist. Even if it's said clearly in court, even if that press is in the courtroom watching, even if you think that's clearly newsworthy, given how much they would cover the fraud allegations that are total nonsense, uh, still haven't seen the article. I still haven't seen the story. I haven't seen the talking heads even bring it up, not even once. And these are the people that are bringing it up to me. So you're 100% right. How, how, you know, how do you stop that? How do you change that? We've reached a point where you, you can't change it. You have to replace it. And by that, I mean virtually everybody who wears a tag called journalist in this country today is not a journalist. I mean, here's here's the proof of it. Let's take, for example, the New York Times. You and I know that if if... If not just you or I, let's just say a credible source on the left were to walk into the New York Times and say, we have undeniable proof from the horse's mouth that the 2020 election was stolen. We're going to sit down with you, show you the evidence. You can ask all the questions you want, and we will convince you to your satisfaction that the 2020 election was stolen. And you go through that process. Do you have any doubt that the next day that article would not be in the New York Times? They would not publish it. They would let it be. They would not touch it. Obviously, that's true. And what that tells you is the New York Times is not a real newspaper. They're not trying to pursue but, but truth. Dinesh, I think They're it's not actually... interested in what happened. They are propagandists, pure and simple. They're in that sense no different than Pravda or Izvestia. Well, I, I actually think it goes worse than that. I, I, I don't think Fox News would cover it. I mean, I actually think I, I think conservative media, you know, would not do it. I, I, I know, you know, the laptop story, you know, maybe they touched on it a little bit. That was the New York Post. So that's the parent company. So they started it, but it didn't go. But I didn't see the big, you know, talking other than maybe a Tucker talking about these things. Uh, you know, they, they covered it, but they covered it light. They didn't go all in because, again, like the weak rhinos in D.C., the Republicans in name only, you know, you, they still want to be invited to polite society in New York. Their children maybe go to school there, so you're not going to get your kid into school if you're the hardcore Republican actually fighting for these things. And so it's not just the fault of sort of leftist media, it's actually conservative media for not wanting to actually engage in these battles. And so it, it goes so much further than just sort of, it's not right versus left, it's actually just sort of, you know, like the uniparty in DC, you just have corporate media doing that. And I think you're right, you have to replace it. I think it's, you know, you're doing that, uh, you know, on, on Rumble, you're doing it with movies. I'm doing it, not because I was a journalist, but honestly, at this point, I think I have more credible credibility than the vast majority of the journalists that are out there because I'll actually take a contrarian approach to something, whether you like it or not. 
Uh, the rest, it's like, you see the sound bites, you know, the tweets. It's like the same catchphrases, the same words regurgitated over guys that are making five, 10, 15 million dollars a year. They're incapable of an original thought and they just run with whatever the narrative is. And part of it, I think also is that there are Republican politicians who live in a certain type of fear. They know that if the media puts them in its sights and, and attacks them relentlessly for three weeks, they will never recover. In fact, their own side will bury them. And so as a result, they become sheepish, they become timid. I mean, sometimes oddly, when I talk to these guys, they talk to me as if I'm sort of a, some kind of a, a miracle worker because they're like, man, Dinesh, you know, you're so brave to be out there saying these things. And, and I, first of all, I don't think that's even true, but I think to myself, what, what you're really saying is that you would never do it. They, what you're saying is that even if you think it, you would never step forward and say it. Yeah. And so all these people are operating in at a level of timidity. I mean, the the level of invertebrate um, uh, fear in the Republican Party is, to me, a very disgusting thing to behold. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, there's there's consequences to conservatives. There's consequences to conservative journalists that you don't have on the other side. It was sort of, you know, feel good story of the day to see some of these, you know, leftist propaganda rags, you know, firing people today because I've seen them go after me. There was a story back, going back years now. Uh, you know, I, I went to a, a friend of mine who's a developer in New York. Uh, he developed islands and marinas and all this stuff. And he had a big grand opening party at one of his things. And this is like three, four years ago. My father was president of the United States. This, but the party happened in like 2012 or maybe or 2008, something like that. I, I went to this thing, and apparently Jeffrey Epstein was there. And this reporter calls. They say, "We have you a credible source. Two credible sources say that you were on a plane with Jeffrey Epstein going down to the island." I was like, at first, it wasn't Epstein Island, but just, and you could see the joy because it was like it was like ten years prior, and I was like. I wasn't because I went down with these guys. I remember who I flew down with. I'd never met the guy. Didn't have any idea, but they anything they could do to link me to Epstein. So finally, it's like, well, we're going with the story in four hours. If you can't show us that it is, I go, but I'm telling you, there's there's no truth to it. Now we have a, you know reliable sources, as they always say. So I called my friend who I actually remembered going down to the party with. And he was like, well, let me check with my pilot. And luckily, his pilot literally had like perfect flight logs. So it showed me, my wife, literally flying down and back with him that I wasn't on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. He wasn't on a manifest. I'd never been with him. There's no photos of me with him. I've never met the guy. And I bring it to the guy. I go, now if you write it, I'm going to sue your fucking ass off. Because, and it was as though I crushed his soul. Not be, you know, because he had no interest in actually writing the truth. He just could tie me to it. I go, well, why don't you do an article about, you know, all the celebrities uh, that are down to Epstein, you know, Bill Clinton going down there 54 times, you know, with and without Secret Service and all the, you know, all the stories that you've seen. Like, how come I've never seen you write an article with that? But just the notion that you could somehow tie me to this piece of crap, you know, and now when I call you out on it, now that I show you the evidence, it's like I ruined your life. You know, we got to stop pretending that there's even a pretense of these people being you know, good faith actors. They're not. They're just propagandists for the regime. Absolutely. And I think you would agree with me that today, if the FBI were to come to your door, don't be like some of the January 6th guys and go, hey, I backed the blue. I like the FBI. Yeah, here's my ID. Ask me any questions you want. I want to be cooperative. I want to clear the whole matter up. 
you know, I'm doing a, a series on Solzhenitsyn and the Gulag and my podcast. And Solzhenitsyn says that even when the Stalinist officials came to get people at their homes at the train station, they would always go, why me? Let me clear the matter up. Let me explain yeah. and so on. And so instead of looking for, for really practical things to do, like how can I run or how can I shout so the yeah. crowd will come to my defense and they won't be able to drag me away where my life is going to be ruined, People think of this kind of stupid, you know, let me cooperate with the authorities because they're on my side when we really should realize they're not. Yeah, 100%. Guys, don't cooperate, okay? If you're watching this now, don't cooperate because they are not looking out for your best interests. Honestly, the best example of this is probably Michael Flynn, right? You know, when they went after him early in my father's administration, you have the, he literally was like, okay, no, we're going to settle this. This is, here's what it, he cooperated, didn't think to have a lawyer. And then, you know, you put a comma on the wrong spot, you get the date in the wrong, whatever it may be. You know, I don't even know that he made a mistake. I don't think it even mattered, but he cooperated, didn't have this, and they threw the entire world at him and then used that as the pretense for weaponization of everything else thereafter. So, you know, a guy that served his country loyally forever, a guy that understood what exactly was going on, a guy that was probably working on taking some of that down, still was naive enough to think. I, I always said my biggest mistake of my father's administration, not that I was involved in the administration, was the, I knew Michael Flynn really well from, you know, the campaign, from the transition team, from hanging out with him, for traveling countless hours. I'm like, no, this is a good guy. But even me, even at the beginning of Russia, 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 even with them trying to try me for treason, I still had this notion like, no, no, come on. Like, you know, it's the FBI. It's the CIA. There must be something there. I didn't go against him, but I was sort of, well, I'm silent because there's got to be something there, right? It can't all just be a lie, right, Dinesh? And it was all just a lie, and it doesn't matter. So we have to understand that very clearly. Yeah, absolutely. At some point in my own case, going back uh, several years now, I realized that these Obama lawyers, if they could, would have put me in jail for 20 years over a trivial campaign finance violation that is normally not even prosecuted. And this was very eye-opening for me because I realized, you know, they don't just see me as somebody who made a mistake or somebody who's a dissident. No, for them, I was a political enemy and that's how they viewed it. So they would have been completely satisfied if some judge gave me a 20 year sentence. I mean, destroying my life. So for them, ultimately, this is political war. And so we are in an awkward situation where a lot of Republicans are like, well, you know, we can't do the same thing because we're better than that, Dinesh. You know, we're the party of principle. And I feel like these the Republicans are sort of like these guys who go out and covered wagons in 1840 out west. You're encircled by outlaws with long guns. They want to burn your homestead, rape your wife and kill your kids. And you're saying things like, well, you know, they've got long guns, but I need to go look at my law books. I can't do what they do. I can't defend myself. I'm better than that. I'm a man of principle. Well, what do you even say to such a person? Because they have no grasp of the situation in which they find themselves. Yeah, no, you know, again, hopefully all of this is a big awakening. I think with that awakening comes a big change. And so, you know, what is it that you find, Dinesh, you know, about the America First movement uh, that has these corrupt bad actors, you know, pressing the panic button? You know, why is their agenda centered so much now around censorship and silencing? And, and they're not, again, they're not even pretending anymore. I mean, you know, Jack Smith that wants to get out there. He, anyone who ever interacted with Donald Trump on Twitter, you know, like, you mean tens of millions of people? We just got to know. Because you're on a list. Everyone's on a list at this point. It's got to be that at some level, 
the left realizes that its own positions are intellectually indefensible and also not really popular with the American people. Because think about it. If their positions carried merit, if they were not afraid to debate us because they had better arguments, better data, if it turns out that they could put their case before the American people and the American people go, well, obviously we prefer the Democrats, they're the better side, they wouldn't need to do any of this. So the reason that they do it, in a strange way, it's a reflection of their intellectual and moral weakness because they don't want to have to debate. They'd rather shut you down. Yeah, or they put don't you in want jail. to have to put their case before the people. That's why they cheat in elections and so on. Well, you know, when you think back to some of your earlier films, the ones that you did years ago, you know, how much influence does the legacy of Barack Obama have on the extremist left agenda that we're seeing today? And, you know, when you look back at those first films, uh, perhaps to the later ones, what stands out to you? And, you know, and, and do you have a favorite? Well, my, I'm, you know, I'm partial to my first film because it did open a kind of window into Obama that was completely new. And, and that film, of course, did incredibly well. I'm also, uh, you know, I like obviously 2000 Mules had a huge impact as well. But I do think that Obama was the turning point in the sense that he took a radical left ideology and brought it into the mainstream. And he did it because of his sort of style in which he appears to be cerebral. He appears to be sort of making fine distinctions. Well, you know, we, we shouldn't confuse ISIS with ISIL. And people think, oh, wow, this is, a, this is a very professorial guy who's making all these nuanced points. But in fact, he's a far left guy who mastered the sort of technique, which by the way, Biden has not mastered and most of the people around Biden have not mastered, but Obama was able to take radical ideas and make them sound mainstream. And a lot of people in part because he's the first black president and so on, went along with them. And I think that was a turning point. I'm not even sure we'll be able to fully go back. Do you think that Obama's involved in running the Biden administration? You know, what, what do you think the actual chain of command? Again, we talk about it all the time. I mean, you get you joke about it on social. I joke about it. We talk, you know, it, it's not a laughing matter other than it's so flagrantly ridiculous. You know, the leader of the free world can't find his way off of a stage. Uh, who, you know, what do you think the real chain of command is uh, in, in the White House today? So, so think of what a scary thing you're asking me, right? Because you're basically saying that whenever we, we look around the world, even let's consider police states around the world, it's really obvious who's running them. It's Kim Jong-un. It's uh, Xi in China. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it was Castro in Cuba. It was, of course, Stalin and then later Andropov and Chernenko and all those guys in the Soviet Union. So here's my question. Who is running our country, our police state, if you want to call it that, right now? Who's in charge? We don't know. What? We're in a democracy? We don't even know who's running the country? What that really means is that there is some kind of a junta that is making these critical decisions. Now, Joe Biden's going along with them. He's in the canoe. He's an accomplice. But we all know he's not steering the canoe. So is it Obama? Is it the Obamaites who are now surrounding Biden? It is obviously some combination of that. But it's terrifying that we, at this point, could not say who is making yeah. the most important decisions affecting our country if it's not Biden. Who is it? Yeah. Could it be Obama? Could it be Susan Rice? Could it be Valerie Jarrett? Could it be, you know, any one of the top leaders at the DOJ or CIA or the FBI? Or, you know, perhaps they're all working in cahoots because it does seem like uh, they have uh, anything but uh, America's best interests at heart. And you only see that because of the policies. Right. I mean, 
Uh, I don't know if you saw, you know, sort of my intro today, but, you know, we're, you know, the illegal immigrants, we're going to make sure we address them by the appropriate pronouns. I mean, you know, I, I imagine that most of these people have no idea what pronouns even are. Uh, but, you know, but we're going to make sure that's the issue, not stopping, you know, child sex trafficking, not stopping the fentanyl scourge. Uh, none of these things. It's, it's pronouns. I mean, they're, they're not serious people, and yet they're making serious decisions that our children and grandchildren are going to be beholden to that are destructive to our country and our future. And we have to hope that the ordinary American, when they see all of this, which is so brazen and going on all around them, they will realize that these people are doing grave and maybe irreparable harm to the country. Because in the end, if the American people don't wake up and say, stop, who's going to do that? In other words, this stuff will all continue and just get worse and worse. And at some point, as you say, you know, when the jaws of a police state fully slam shut, our options become really limited. Yeah. All we can do is run, right? Get out, get your family yeah. out, get your money out. Uh, and that even raises the question of where to run to, because so many of these police state practices are now in Canada, they're in Australia, New Zealand, they're across Europe. So it's almost like the world is now divided into Chinese-style police states and Western-style police states. What a terrifying prospect. Yeah, I mean, obviously the police state's pretty scary, but I also want to you know, talk a little bit about 2,000 mules, uh, you know, the illegal ballot harvesting operations in state like Georgia. Uh, what do we do to stop that? Obviously, you exposed it. Obviously, people are seeing it's real. Just this week, you know, I guess, I guess it was Georgia and maybe Arizona, you know, oh, well, you know, yeah, sure, you know, I know the, the envelopes are part of it, but we destroyed the evidence. I mean... All of the things that we you called out in the movie there, they're now acknowledging, you know, three years later, uh, you know, once they get the result that they want, right? It's, you know, there's not like a mea culpa. There's not a, well, we can't do anything about it now for, you know, I guess this excuse in Arizona is, well, it would be disruptive to the state. Oh, yeah, to look into actual fraud that transpired. I mean, you know, I no, it's just disruptive to the Democrat cause. Uh, is there a way to stop uh, what you saw, uh, what you documented, from transpiring in 2024? Because that's probably the most, you know, asked question, not just on, you know, when, when I'm scrolling and reading the commentary uh, from you tonight, but literally on any show that I do. You know, what's your response to those on the left who say that there still isn't evidence of illegal voting, uh, given what you've uncovered? And what do we tell the people who are concerned that this is going to happen, and it will happen in 2024. There's no question in my mind. Uh, we just got to overcome the margin of fraud. Uh, how do we do that? Well, with regard to the to the left, you know, when 2000 Mules came out, we acknowledged in the film that here we have this cell phone evidence, but we don't have the names of mules. We have cell phone IDs. It's going to take law enforcement to get the names. It's very easy. You can get the names from the cell phone provider, but you need a warrant to do that. Well, law enforcement can get the warrants. And number two, you've got all these people and you can see them on camera. And so why not interview the mules uh, and find out, you know, here you are, you're showing up at 3 a.m. in the morning, you're looking around to make sure no one's watching you. You've got a backpack or a, a satchel full of ballots. Uh, then you walk up, you have gloves on, you drop the ballots in one, two, three, four, and so on. Then you take off your gloves and put it in a trash can. Then you take a photo of the ballot box. So give us the explanation that makes sense of that behavior. If you're not trying to, to not have fingerprints on the ballot, why the gloves? 
If it's COVID, why take off the gloves? Uh, why would you take a photo, not a photo of yourself, a selfie like I voted? Why are you taking photos of a ballot box, if not like a DoorDash driver to say, I did the job, I, I, del I, I delivered the ballots. So if that's not the purpose, what was your purpose? So interestingly, even though we put that challenge out in the film, notice how no one took us up on this. There was not single law enforcement authority no Democrat go, okay, let's prove that Dinesh is completely wrong. Let's go talk to all those people in the movie. We'll put them all on CNN. They'll all give a perfectly good explanation of what they were doing, and Dinesh will look like a complete fool. No one dared to do that for the simple reason that they knew, as well as you and me, that they didn't dare to talk to those people or launch an investigation because of a, a fear of what they might find. So what, what do we do? What can the average viewer do to get involved and ensure that it doesn't happen again uh, in 2024. The average viewer can just do a few things like become a poll watcher or become a poll judge. Do your best to put your eyes on the process. That's what you can do. But there's a lot that the campaigns can do. There's a lot that the RNC can do. Look, right now it says in the election rules, coming out of CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, that all drop boxes should have 24-hour video surveillance. This was not done in 2020. There were whole states where there was no video at all. Even in states where they had video, lots of the boxes did not have surveillance. And so you simply insisting that every single Dropbox have 24-hour surveillance, I mean, such a simple step. You don't need new laws. It's already in the, in the rules. So the Republicans simply need to insist that that rule be enforced. So that's, that's not the end of the story. It's only the beginning of the story. But if you won't even do that, then you're clearly not serious about trying to have any kind of election integrity at all. Mm -hmm. What is your, you know, obviously you're still dealing with a primary, you know, there's debates every week and, you know, Trump's got a 60 point lead. It sort of feels like we're wasting a lot of money that could be used towards, uh, you know, preventing uh, the other side ballot harvesting or starting up our own similar operations where, you know, where we don't have the control to make the changes because you have to control the state legislatures. And even where we control that, you know, like D.C., oftentimes the Republicans are weak. You know, what's your assessment of the state of the 2024 race? You know, my father's polling better than ever, but, you know, you're also up against all of these corrupt institutions. You're up against sort of the billionaire conservative donor class. What's the roadmap to MAGA victory in 2024? Well, I think for some of these other guys who are running, I'm thinking here like of a Nikki Haley or even a DeSantis, I think that they're not only their best hope, but really their only hope is that if, if somehow your dad is not on the ticket. In other words, that for yeah. some reason he cannot run. And it's almost like they're running in that hope or that expectation because I can't see any other realistic path for them to get the nomination. They're actually um, cheering for the police state to get what, what they want. You know, they, they're really against it, except for if it benefits them politically. I mean, that, that was sort of the take on, you know, the DeSantis, you know, I, well, that's not really a thing. Then Trump gets indicted. Well, you know, maybe it's not a thing, but, you know, well, let me ride it out and let's see where it goes. It's pretty scary, actually, that conservatives could even think that way right now. Well, I was following a very interesting uh, commentary about, you know, why DeSantis has not defended even January 6th protesters who are in who are from Florida. Like, why, why isn't he defending people from his own state? And I think the reason is this. If DeSantis were to admit that the January 6th guys are being shafted, he would then have to admit that they might have had a point in going to D.C. In other words, their concerns yeah. about a stolen election might be plausible. 
And once you admit that the 2020 election might have been stolen, you now have to consider the possibility that you basically got a usurper, an illegitimate guy in the White House. Your dad should be the one in the White House. And if your dad should be the one in the White House now, then what is the case for not making him the candidate to at least have a chance to get into the White House next year? So all of this would then suggests that DeSantis should never have run in 2024. He should have kept his powder dry and waited for 2028. But I think because he's in now, he can't go down that road because the logic of going down that road is to is impossible because it, it undermines the logic of his candidacy. No, that, that that makes a lot of sense. So, so you know, before we wrap up, will you let the audience know where they can see you know police state as well as you know if they haven't already two thousand mules so that you know they can get caught up on all of this because like I always say, it's because of them and because of this audience and because of these sort of you know alternate forms of media where people can get their news and figure it out. It's why I say, hey guys, like, share, subscribe. Uh, you know, make sure that this message gets out because, you know, we're not going to get any favors from big tech. Uh, you know, social media is not going to do anything to get these messages out there. But this is the reality of what's going on. And no, since no one else is willing to talk about it, guys like Dinesh and I are, but we can't get it out there without your guys' help. So you guys like, share, and subscribe. And Dinesh, while they're doing that, why don't you tell them where they, you can find the movie uh, and, and, and how they can be involved in that as well? Sure. With regard to Police State, it's now streaming on a number of platforms, but you should go to the website, which is policestatefilm.net, policestatefilm.net. Also, DVDs are available. You can order them there. We've got like five packs, 10 packs. So they're really good for stocking stuffers. And so uh, that's a great way to support the movie. 2000 Mules, about a month ago, I put it up for a weekend free on X, on, on the former Twitter. Uh, and it got millions of views. And I'm likely to do that again, because once a movie has been out a year or so, we've recovered the money for our investors and so on. And so I don't mind giving these movies the widest possible distribution. So um, I'll, I'll be in touch with your dad, but I think we should push the idea of making 2000 Mules easy for everyone to see. Your dad had put out a, a, a truth uh, a little while ago saying, oh, it's tough to see 2000 Mules. Well, I want it to be really easy, but also support Police State and go to the website, policestatefilm.net. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate it. Appreciate the time. You know, when you do that, let me know. I'll make sure to make, you know, make sure that people know where they can do it. I'm happy to get that out there because, again, uh, we're all in this together. So, Dinesh, thank you for everything that you do. Thanks for being a, a great leader in this fight. Uh, it, it's really important. And uh, look forward to seeing you soon, my friend. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Guys, thanks so much for that. Again, make sure you're liking, you're sharing, you're subscribing. Remember, if you're watching now, but you can't always watch when we're live, you can get the uh, podcast on Apple. Uh, you can get it on Spotify. So if you're driving, if you're flying, if you're seeing another way, you can check it out there. Also, make sure to support our incredible advertisers. That's a big part of this thing. These guys are willing to break from the norms to support programming like this. This is not normal programming. People are, you know, we, we don't have the same uh, benefits that big corporate has. So make sure to check out the great folks over at Gold Co. You've seen it. Interest rates are rising. It looks like we're going to hit a 2008 wall going 1,000 miles an hour. It's leading to more economic anxiety. We're on the brink of war, and we just want you to be prepared. And owning tangible, physical, and inflation hedging gold and silver can help secure and stabilize your portfolio. Goldco is top-notch customer service, and this is what's important. They'll take you through the process. They'll answer all of your questions. You can learn more by going to donjuniorgold.com. That's D-O-N-J-R-Gold.com, where you can learn more. D-O-N-J-R-Gold.com. Learn more. 
educate yourself and protect yourself from the insanity. And while you're at it, don't forget the great folks over at Blackout Coffee. You're going to be drinking coffee anyway, guys. So make sure you do it with a company that actually supports and shares your values instead of some far left woke corporate chain that hates your guts, right? It's American made, it's family owned, and they'll never compromise on their beliefs to appease the woke mob. So across the board, it's just about taste and quality. They only use the finest premium grade coffee and they'll deliver a top quality product. So this holiday season, enjoy Blackout Coffee by going to blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr., D-O-N-J-R. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr. Or use promo code Don Jr., D-O-N-J-R, at checkout for 20% off your first order. So guys, I really appreciate it. Remember to like, share, subscribe. I'll see you on Monday. And for the local followers, Kim's going to kill me because I got a dinner 20 minutes ago, but I'm going to be really late for that. But I'll go do locals and jump on right now. If there's enough of you on there right now, we'll stay on for a little bit. We'll answer your questions as it relates to this interview, some of the other uh, crazy news of the day. So if you're on locals, flip over there right now uh, and uh, I will talk to you then. You guys are the best. Thanks for all you do. Just always appreciate the support uh, and hope you guys have an awesome weekend. Be good, guys.